0: This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Second hour of Seattle Sports at Night is right here on
1: 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in this hour, the af they've got so much dirty laundry. ESPN went and sent out the big dogs to head their way. We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes What do you now. call
2: Seth Wickersham? Do you call him the Grim Reaper?
1: Like- I, if he is around your organization or around your just sports enterprise, watch out because dirty laundry will be exposed. People will be uncomfortable with what gets said. Uh, it's this time of year every year that he comes out with something big. And this year, it's on the AAF.
2: He is looking to stir some things up.
1: Yeah, a couple years ago, it was the Seahawks. I believe it was the Cleveland Browns this time a year ago, finishing off their own 16 season. Yep. Uh, And today, it was the AAF. So we'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes from now. And then at 830, uh, somebody from the NFL Network coming out with some interesting info on just how the Arizona Cardinals are bringing along Kyler Murray as well as well Cliff Kingsbury to that extent. That's coming up in Big If True at 830. Also, we're going to answer your questions at 845. Ask us anything. Text those into the course Light like text line 710-710. But Jake, you and I, we've got the NBA finals, or at least I've got the NBA finals on in my plain sight here. And what we witnessed just about 10 minutes ago I don't know where it falls in the annals of NBA history, but it was certainly one of the most, like, that's, Clay Thompson is a tough guy. Without a doubt. You cannot question that man's toughness ever again. Uh, He went up for a contested layup, fell awkwardly on his left knee, and based off of just visuals of it, it looked like a torn ACL.
2: Yeah, it did not look good. I mean, his knee clearly on impact of the ground, bent in a way that shouldn't, it shouldn't go. And, uh, for him to, I mean, he was essentially being carried off the court and then to turn right back around and finish the free throw so that he could, in fact, uh, if he could muster it up, could come back, uh, and, and get back, get himself back into the game. I think that was huge. Um, man, just an absolute warrior out there. Um, and, uh, Look, I think this is one of those things where if it comes back and they're able to send this thing into a game 7 and Golden State's ultimately going to going to win, man, that's going to be immortalized in oh, NBA history. Oh, absolutely.
1: Like this this moment in this series of Golden State is able to come back and win it after being down 3-1, just a couple years after they themselves were up 3-1 in the same kind of situation and they're able to win it without Kevin Durant without Klay Thompson, who I, I'm i guessing is not going to be available for Game 7 if it does, in fact, happen. And then, you know, Draymond Green... Well, not Draymond, uh, Boogie Cousins not being as effective as he once was in the NBA. Uh, this would go, I think, is the most impressive championship of theirs if they're able to pull off this comeback. They're up 88-86 at the end of three quarters. Uh, we will keep you updated throughout the fourth quarter on what's going on. But uh, Clay Thompson likely going to miss the rest of this game. I can't imagine he comes back uh, tonight. Who knows what his status is for Game 7, but it did not look good uh, just off of the initial replay of what we saw. So we'll get you updated on his status the rest of the night when we hear it. But uh, Seahawks wrapping up minicamp today. They now head into the six-week break of the offseason. And... Everybody's left to their own devices over these six weeks. There is a lot of weird stories that happen this time of year. You've got a couple of years ago, Jason Pierre-Paul blowing off some digits on his hand in a 4th of July fireworks incident. You've got, obviously, Seahawks fans will remember Malik McDowell with the ATV accident. Uh, do you remember this story? It was from... I think last off season, Janoris Jenkins, the longtime cornerback in the NFL, a dead body was found in his basement and he wasn't home. He wasn't in, in the state where it was where it happened. But yeah.
2: like yo, this time of year There's some weird stuff that's going on.
1: Yeah. So just Jake, what is it about this time of year <laughs> from a from a player standpoint that Allows for these kinds of incidents to happen.
2: Well, I think you're dealing with a lot of players that are one, they're young. Two, you've got guys that are in situ- in the situation that they haven't grown accustomed to having that kind of money, uh, and and that type of money, that type of ability and freedom to do whatever they want. And and you've got people back home that uh, you know want to have a good time with you, that want to share in the joy of of being around an NFL player and an NFL athlete in the perks that are given because of that. And that's the trap falls that guys sometimes and sadly fall into. And you see it every year and you see it, unfortunately with high level players and guys who are just trying to crack the roster guys just don't figure it out in terms of what it means to be a total pro. And you're, you're totally left to your own devices and and you have to have a plan in place in terms of how you're going to get yourself better. And that, that's the biggest thing is one, being able to take care of your body and prep it. Your mindset should be I am prepping my body for a 16 to 20 uh, odd week season that is absolutely going to be wear and tear and pounding on my body. And can I get myself prepared for that? And so, you know, generally what I've seen, you know, especially from the Seahawks players. That I've been fortunate to be around, and some of the best to ever do it. Those guys are very diligent in the off season. You know, they take their time. They may carve out some time to go on vacation for you know a couple days, but for the most part, they are focused and working and keeping themselves uh, geared and ready to go. Because you you have six weeks, and it is sometimes it can feel like a long time, but it, it flies by just like that. And then you're right in the thick of things. You don't just kind of ease your way into camp it's not like little league football where you know you you take it one day at a time and you kind of ease your way into this thing it is from day full one bore. you are full bore the intensity is is at an all-time high and you're expected to perform at your very best you've been through the installs about three or four times now you're going through it your fifth time in training camp and these coaches are expecting you to be dialed in from the jump. And so not only physically, but also from your playbook standpoint as well. And I I remember for me, (laughs) my, my story walking away from OTAs in minicamp, uh, with the Seahawks in 2016, I had a solid OTAs in minicamp. I felt good about it. And the final day of minicamp Curtis, I was driving down the field. It was, it was team move it. And I, you know, third stringers is kind of like the last team move it of the day. And I'm killing it. I'm dicing dicing the defense up. I we're driving. We got it down to like the two yard line in the end zone. About to, you know, put an exclamation point on on my off season going into the summer. And uh I I there's a stick route in the end zone and I go to throw it, put my back foot, gonna think it's a touchdown and pick six. And that was the last mm. play of minicamp. And I literally am walking off the field with my like just thinking man, I am going to get cut. This was a fun ride. Man, I've had a blast. I'm looking around like trying to soak it all in. Like I'm just waiting for the Grim Reaper to come over and g- want to grab my playbook and the whole deal. And it never happened. I was like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> just get me out of this building right now. But I use that as motivation. The things that I didn't do well, I use that as motivation moving forward over the next six weeks to get myself better, to get myself in the best physical shape and mental shape of my life. And uh, that was by far one of my best training camps I have ever had in my entire football career due to the diligence of that. And you see guys take massive steps and leaps and bounds from OTAs to training camp. And you see also see guys come in out of shape and not prepared and they don't capitalize on the opportunity that's given to them.
1: So during these six weeks with everybody just kind of on their own what were the ways in which you remained focused on just the game and and ways that you didn't allow yourself to get distracted whereas you know other other people you know or just other guys in the league that like we talked about have these weird happenstances yeah. happen to them how were you able to just remain focused on on the task at hand and and just not allow yourself to i guess take too much time away from the game.
2: Yeah, I think a big part of it was planning, Curtis, having a plan of attack and not just taking it day by day, but knowing that, hey, when I was in OTAs, I knew exactly where I was going to be, where I was going to train. You know, if I had vacation time, I already had it planned out when I was going to do it. It Just everything was planned. And so mentally I can prepare myself for that and, and get myself ready to go. And, you know, this time also is you're working out, you're keeping yourself in shape, but you've got a lot of free time on your hands. So, you know, for me, I was a married guy, you know, spending time with my, my wife and my newborn son at the time. And, and so it wasn't it wasn't a huge deal to me. Um, but, you know, there are guys that are into other things and, and just indulge themselves just a little too much during that time. And so the biggest thing to me, Curtis, is these guys is have a plan. Have a plan of attack in terms of how you're going to do it, How you, how are you going to work out, and do you have – other people around you to hold you accountable. I think one of the, the coolest things is a lot of these guys, you know, is on the Seahawks, they stick around. And they stick around and work at a facility here close by in Bellevue. And that's where I trained. And there were actually a, a contingency of about, you know, 10 to 15 of us that were training in the same place. So anytime that you can have that accountability around you and guys holding you to that standard, it's always a good thing.
1: Uh, some breaking news on Clay Thompson's injury The Warriors just tweeted that Klay Thompson will not return to tonight's game. Wow. Uh, Just an awful, awful scene, especially considering the game that he was having. 30 Uh, points. 30 points, very efficient, only needing 12 field goal attempts to get those 30 points. Uh, But, yeah, just an awful sight to see. Can't imagine he's going to be back for Game 7 if he is. I mean, that's going to be just an incredible performance or it's going to be an incredible sight to see if he is in fact ready to go this yeah, injury I, I, I
2: just don't see this happening Curtis this is one of those things where this is on Unfortunately, this is all on Steph Curry now, and, yeah. and I don't look at this as a defining moment of Steph Curry's career. If he can, if he can take this to Game Seven, that's an amazing accomplishment on his end. But you're leaning on the likes of Andre Iguodala to, to step up for, uh, along with you, and Draymond Green to stop, you know, yelling at the refs and, and getting in chippy fights and, and start taking good shots. I mean, you know, it's been amazing to see Draymond Green. I think he's brought good energy, but he's also uh, you know, taking bad shot selections and has and has gotten himself into a lot of just stupid chippiness. Uh, you know, battling back and forth with players and you know technical fouls and all those things. So, you know, Steph's got an uphill battle on this one.
1: Coming up next on Seattle Sports at Night, the American or the Alliance of American Football, they had a real short time in the spotlight. Well, now they're back in it, and for all the wrong reasons, ESPN's Seth Wickersham, he came out with a brand-new hit piece today on the demise of that league. We come through it next right here on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle.
0: You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Make sure you're downloading the Seattle Sports Tonight podcast on 710sports.com. You can click on the podcast page. Uh, we're also available Apple Podcasts, Google Play. We're also on Spotify, too. I mean, there's, there's really no reason for you to, to not be downloading every hour of every show. That's right. We're not the only ones there. Check us out, man. Check us out. There it is. Uh, coming up in about 15 minutes, it's time for another edition of Big If True. Something going on. Something... A little out of the ordinary going on down in Arizona with the Cardinals and and how they're implementing Kyler Murray into their system and how Cliff Kingsbury is adjusting to the NFL. A uh, very interesting nugget that was told this week here on 710 ESPN Seattle, so we'll get into that in about 15 minutes from now. You can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app. Driven by your Puget Sound, Accurate Dealers, uh, the AAF. May you rest in peace. Uh, is is no longer. (laughs) And there was a lot of... There were a lot of different reasons why it didn't work out. Mainly, at least in my viewpoint, I think the main reason was there was no money. There was no money to go around, and if people aren't getting paid, they're not going to want to show up for work. And they didn't... They launched the league without the guarantee of there being money along the way. They did it just kind of hoping that investors... Would see what's going on and throw money at this league to help it continue in perpetuity, uh, but that definitely didn't happen. It bombed before the playoffs even were played. Yep, uh, I believe it only got through like seven or eight weeks of uh, of actual game action. And today, Seth Wickersham of the uh, of ESPN. As he is known for around this time of year, he is is tasked with giving, uh, I guess, some football stories that don't paint his subject in the best light. We we Seahawks fans know all about it. A couple of seasons ago, he wrote an article uh, detailing about Seattle's locker room culture and, and the relationship between certain players, most notably Russell Wilson and Richard Sherman. Last off season, he wrote it about the Cleveland Browns and just the dysfunction in that organization, how it started and how it stemmed from the very top to the very bottom of that uh, franchise. And maybe they're starting to figure it out in Cleveland as they've put together an actual appealing product on both sides of the ball. But today, Seth Wickersham writing one about the demise of the AAF, which... I think everybody in the NFL today is taking a collective sigh of relief that, oh, my gosh, Seth is not coming after our organization this year. We can continue (laughs) to operate as we have been doing the last few years. We're good. We're good till next year. Exactly. And so the AAF today, I mean, it's not like there's anything that, you know, there's no – the league doesn't exist anymore. So anything you write about it, they really can't clap back at you. But today there was a lot to go around with the AAF. And, and Jake, you brought this up to me because you, you were the one who first found it and was like, did you comb through this? Did you see what's going on? Yeah. What stood out to you about the AAF and just how much of wow. a a just crazy, crazy operation it was?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's just altogether it's it's pretty amazing when you look at how the formation of this came about. And really there's, there's two things that really bother me about the AAF is one, how do you start a league when you're already behind the eight ball and you continue to go through it and you're so far behind the eight ball that it's really going to be a miracle to be able to pull this off even for one year, let alone being able to make this something into uh, what they were selling to everybody. And, and from the outside looking in, Man, it, it was very promising. You know, you had you had good people in place in terms of Bill Polian and respectful NFL names and by all accounts the football operations side of it looked really good. But behind the scenes, there just always seemed to be something off and different. And I think the formation of it all stems from Ebersol looking at this and they talked about him being the producer and the executive producer of the thirty for thirty. Of the XFL and his dad Dick Ebersol and Vince McMahon and and you know uh, his dad asked uh, Dick Ebersol asked Vince McMahon, are you considering? Do you consider ever trying to do it again? And Vince says, yeah, maybe. And that sparked Charlie to be like, you know what? I think I could do this. I think I could be the guy that pulls this off. And so that attitude and that motivation was was the main reason behind it all. And and so there was just. You know, people look at it and compare it to Fire Festival, and 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 I see the similarities without a doubt. But more so than anything else, it was a guy that was desperately trying to do whatever it took to get this thing to pull off, and believed in the wrong people and the wrong investors. The Fire Festival, he never even had the money. He was just conning people left and right. Whereas Ebersol was just trying to get somebody to invest in this thing. And along the way, got enough money here and there to be able to piece this thing together and just never simply got that final investment that he desperately and ultimately needed to make this thing work. And there were signs all along the way. And the thing that was interesting is is that you know before the league even got started, there was talk about them potentially shutting down the league and that Charlie was considering shutting down the league But yet his pride and yet, you know, his original investor, Reggie Fowler, a guy who they knew was in shady business and had, you know, uh, money issues and didn't necessarily have the money that he was telling them that he had. They went forward with it because they thought if they could just get their foot in the door, then they could spark something. And that kind of thought process just leads to so much bad rather than good. And it was so well detailed out through this article in terms of how one domino followed the other, do
1: you think the public perception of the AAF, looking back on it, and I mean we're just a couple months removed from the plug, the plug being pulled. If they had pulled out uh, before any games had been played, if if Charlie Ebersole nixed the whole thing before anything happened out on the field, do you think that the league would be looked at just as the as a lot of people view it, and myself included, as kind of a joke and and like, I don't know if people look back on it so negatively if they just, before it gets off the ground, before it gets on TV, before players are involved, before people's livelihoods are at stake, Yeah, if they pull the plug on it, I don't know if it becomes as big of a black eye uh, this last spring
2: it, as, it, as it became. No, it certainly doesn't. And your reputations aren't ruined. It just simply comes down to the fact of man, it is really hard to be able to pull this thing off and you know it, they tried hard but they just simply couldn't do it i think that's what it would have been, would have ultimately the the narrative would have been instead you go forward with it and it just looks like a disaster all the way around you not only uh, don't have the funding but the way it ended and the way you screwed people out of jobs not just the players but the players were left in a horrible circumstance the coaches the the you know the behind the scenes uh, people that were working on the administrative side in that league office. I mean, it just was, all the way around, it was ha- it was um, handled horribly. And Tom Dundon, you know, coming into the situation, I don't know how you go into that situation and say you're going to be an investor without doing more due diligence. And that's really what it came down to, was Tom Dundon thought there was a product in place that wasn't there. He knew it wasn't. Completely, the the dream that was being sold to him, but he didn't think it was as bad. And immediately, when he got in there, he was like, "Man, this is this isn't even workable. This isn't even serviceable." I'm I'm trying to see how this thing's going to develop on a week to week basis. Now, I'm not even close to committing two hundred fifty million dollars, like it was reported. I mean, he was looking at it going, "I don't even know if I want to commit money next week." Yeah, I mean, it was it was insane.
1: And then when he did become the controlling. I guess person of the league, he basically was like, "All right, everybody's going to get fired here." And then you had Trent Richardson, former running back in the NFL, who was playing for I think the Birmingham team or whatever. Who yeah, was, the
2: Birmingham Iron. Yeah,
1: yeah, who was basically kind of a liaison between the players on his team and the league office. He, you know, he gets a, a text message from Charlie Ebersall saying, "Like, yo." Uh am I about are we about to lose our jobs here? And then Charlie, you know, runs to Tom Dundon and is like, Well, hold on a second and then sure enough, the plug does in fact get pulled on the whole league. It's just like what and then you hear the stories about players being stranded with their possessions and not being given plane tickets or bus tickets or any kind of transportation right. back home. It just became uglier and uglier and uglier. Yeah to the point where it was like, wow, this that, league really didn't care about the players. And I think they just tried to use it as a money-making operation when you get all these investors on board, and they didn't take into account that like these players have lives to get back to. And for sure. This yeah. is a big you know wrench into those.
2: Yeah, professional courtesy was not there in this situation. And and Tom Dunn, I think, if he's going to get himself involved in that, I believe that he had at least that um to be able to give to the players in this league um and look you didn't need to buy them all first class tickets but at least be able to help them in some form or fashion and you know the league is continuing to get picked at for lawsuits and all sorts of things and it's just a disaster and a nightmare but I think the interesting thing about all of this is you you look at it and Bill Polian uh was a guy who didn't want to hear about the money issues. And Tom Dundon came in and very was very clear about, "Hey, look, this is what the league actually is. This is the type of money that you're actually making, and we can be somewhat successful instead of trying to spend 300 plus million dollars, let's try and spend 70 million dollars and then we can become profitable." And they just simply wouldn't do it because I think Bill Polian knows that in order to run the product that they ultimately had the vision for, you can't have that type of operation. And it just simply wasn't going to be as big as they wanted it to be. And and so, you know, Bill Polian didn't recognize that, didn't understand it, and didn't want to be a part of something that wasn't going to be first-class operational. I mean, I remember having conversations with Brock Huard about his experience being a broadcaster for the AAF, and they wine and dine them. They put them up in a nice hotel. They... I mean, they really took care of all the expenses. I mean, imagine doing that for every single game, for every single announcer that was a part of it. I mean, they were using money that they didn't have. It was insane to to think about that. And uh, the one thing that really stands out to me, though, is I think the XFL was just in a completely different stratosphere uh, in terms of the health of what the league will be what it'll look like, how it'll be operated, because you're getting the funding from the guy who's putting this league together.
1: And yeah, $500
2: million of his own money. He has it, and he has the full understanding that this is not going to be a league that's going to strike gold in year one. It's going to be a long-haul play, and obviously they if, if it goes year one and they're not making any kind of revenue or progress, then yeah, it's probably not going to be something you see going through the long term. But it's not going to end nearly in the fashion that the AAF did and and Charlie Eversole was the whole time was trying to jump the gun and get ahead of the XFL and, and try and do his best to try and corner the market before Vince McMahon could get himself in there. So I believe the XFL is going about this the right way. They've been patient through their process. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be bumps in the road and that's going to be perfect by any means. But, uh, you know, it's it's a fascinating look behind the curtain. And I think uh, you know this was a very well written article to give uh, the you know just the average person a view of what it truly was like amongst the talking heads and the leadership of the AAF.
1: Coming up next here on Seattle Sports Tonight, it's time for Big If True. One NFL Network analyst he's given some nuggets about what's going on in Cardinals camp. It's pretty interesting. We'll get into that next. Coming up here on Seattle Sports Tonight on seven ten. ESPN
0: Seattle live from the Alaska Airlines Studio. This is Seattle Sports at Night tonight with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: One point ball game in the NBA Finals right now with 37 seconds to go. Raptors calling a timeout. They're up one on Golden State. If you haven't heard, Clay Thompson leaving the game. With a knee injury, he is, in fact, on his way to the hospital right now. So that's how how that situation is going. Uh, We'll keep you updated here if the Raptors win their first NBA championship or the Warriors uh, force a Game 7. A lot at stake here in the final 35 seconds or so in this one. But uh, as we do every night here on Seattle Sports at Night, around 8.30, it's time for Big If True.
0: This can't be happening! big you can't be serious man if did Did he he say say that that? true history is gonna change the bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day you cannot be serious
1: tonight's big if true comes to us from the nfl network steve weish he joined john clayton on his school podcast this week uh and steve weish Given off some uh, some good nuggets about what's going on around the NFL. A very interesting one that caught your attention, Jake. It caught Stacy's attention. Caught a lot of people's attention about just how the Cardinals are bringing along Kyler Murray and also to a lesser extent Cliff Kingsbury in just how they're going about using their play call for an Let's let's hear what Weish had to say.
0: You know, in fact, uh, Kingsbury told me that he spoke to Lincoln Riley, the head coach at Oklahoma, saying. I need to know your vernacular because I'm going to change my play calls to that vernacular so Kyler can adjust right away and we can get this going. And and Larry Fitzgerald, he's 16, 16 years in, said it's the players outside of Murray who are having to adjust. Like, they're catering everything to Kyler Murray. It's all the other players who, who've got to learn. Jake, when
1: you hear that, when you hear a team changing everything for just one player rather than the rest of the roster, whereas the rest of the roster kind of used to certain vernaculars used in the NFL. Are the Cardinals maybe bending over backward for Kyler Murray too much if this was his idea, or is this going to ultimately benefit the Cardinals in the long run?
2: Yeah, look, to me, they're bending over completely backwards, and I get Cliff Kingsbury's thought process in all this, um, and, and I would imagine that Cliff Kingsbury terminology is not going to be too different from Lincoln Riley's uh, because they come from the same um, family tree in terms of the air raid system. And, and obviously, you know, every team and every play caller has a different way of going about it. It's it's like, you know, learning different languages. Uh, but I would say that they're probably very similar, uh, maybe just a different accent. So instead of, an you know, they're both speaking English but one has an Australian accent versus a traditional American accent. You know, there's just a little bit of a difference, you know, some different slang and different terms that are, that are being thrown out there. And for Kyler Murray, I think this is a situation where you're going all in if you're the Arizona Cardinals. You're going all in on this experiment in terms of Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury especially going in this air raid system and trying to do something that's come that's never been done in the NFL. People could look at Chip Kelly and go, "Oh, well they've done a spread up tempo offense before." No, that was completely different. That was a different system. You know, Chip Kelly's deal was more of a you know, try and spread you out from sideline to sideline. You're going to have your two wide receivers on both sides almost to the edge and there's a very limited route tree and you're more running the football the, air, the true air raid system is completely different, and 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 you've seen air raid principles being used in the NFL, so I believe that there's going to be uh, some aspects of it that are going to be successful. But can the up-tempo pace uh, work over time? And I think uh, actually on Danny David Moore, they talked about it with Joey Hunt, uh, center for the Seahawks, and then he played at TCU having experience playing in an up-tempo offense in the Big 12, and this is what he had to say about it. Uh, You know, I don't know if the, the fast-paced thing can really work because I feel like the big difference is, honestly, is how many guys you can have on a roster. I mean, when you watch these legit offenses, they'll run just four verts. Guys, receivers will just run off the field. They'll put on four guys again, run four verts again, and just trying to get everybody in space. So I feel like with only being able to address 46 guys as opposed to 75 or whatever it is, I mean, that's a significant difference. So I feel like this can going be tough for guys to do as far as – because, I mean, you only have like five receivers when you play so, at most – so I feel like it's gonna to be tough for really people doing it, spreading it out like that, but that's that's a very great point that he made because even if Cliff Kingsbury wants to, you know, stretch it out just a little bit and lean it more towards the offensive side, the most receivers that you can have on a roster is six. I mean, seven would just be completely insane in terms of the NFL world in terms of how to divvy up roster spots. Um, but six is the absolute most that you can do. And so to get those guys going all game long at that tempo is going to be extremely hard, and I think he made a great point about that. And you are, for Cliff Kingsbury, you are either going to be, and I said this in our text thread earlier today, uh, Cliff Kingsbury is either going to be a genius and a guy who completely changes the way that NFL teams and offensive coordinators think about how to develop quarterbacks from the college level to the NFL, or this is going to be a complete flame out and a complete disaster there's no in between here
1: I'm very intrigued by what's going on in arizona and then maybe it's because it's something that we haven't really ever seen in the NFL before uh, you know especially with the number one overall pick being Kyler Murray who's built in a way that we haven't seen a quarterback who go that high in the draft uh be built like And then we've got a a college coach coming in who has never coached in the NFL level before and hasn't had, you know, much success at the college level even when he did, even when he was there. But yet there's a part of me that looks at this and says, what if it does work? What if it does work in a way that the NFC West is all of a sudden caught caught off guard incredibly? Like, how much will this change the NFL? And how much will this change the way the game is played? But I think that is just an incredibly small percentage of of happening. Uh, NBA Finals update, there is less than a second left. The Raptors hold a one-point lead. There's a replay going on right now as to who's going to get possession of this ball. Uh, There was a tie-up. Doesn't look like... uh, there's definitive evidence as to whose ball this is going to be. So depending on how this works out, uh, the Raptors could be in possession of it and they could end up winning the NBA title uh, just off of the uh, next, couple of, next couple of moments. But we'll get you an update on what's going on there. We'll also need your text questions to the Coors Light text line 710-710. we got to Ask Us Anything coming up next we're going to do our best to answer those right here on Seattle Sports at
0: Night. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: So before we left for the break, there was 0.9 seconds left, but this is classic NBA. 0.9 seconds left on the clock. Our break was about three and a half minutes long. The clock currently shows no time left on the game clock. Toronto has a two point lead, which would normally mean that the Raptors have won. Yeah,
2: seal this thing up.
1: But there's a replay going on over whether or not the Warriors were able to foul Toronto before the clock ran out. And if that's the case, Toronto would shoot free throws, which would mean that the Warriors would have an opportunity to get the ball back at some point. Uh, In fact, they've put 0.9 seconds back on the clock. So it's as though nothing happened over the last three and a half minutes. Toronto is in position to win their first NBA title if, in fact, this clock does run
2: out. And this is, like, the most anticlimactic thing, and I and I guarantee you this is the best way that Kawhi Leonard could ever win an NBA championship. Just with no, no buzz, nope. no nothing. No buzz, no, like, post-game celebration, just like... Just everybody
1: kind of standing around wondering, what do we do? Right,
2: exactly. Like, it's already settled in after, like... 10 minutes and so by the time they win it's really not that big of a deal anymore. That's exactly how Kawhi Leonard wants it.
1: So Raptors just made their two free throws. Steph Curry hucks it the length of the court. Nothing and now the Raptors are your NBA champions for 2018-2019. Wow.
0: Uh, I bet the
2: 6 is going crazy. Yeah,
1: but Taylor, he's going nuts as well. He's a Raptors fan. He's got tons of family up in uh, in Toronto. But man, the, the Toronto Raptors are NBA champions. I That's a weird sentence to say that I don't know if I'll ever get used to saying that.
2: I don't know. I, I definitely won't. No. That's for sure. And does Kawhi Leonard stay in Toronto?
1: I mean, geez. It, it's, this NBA Finals, I think the drama that came from it, rather than the drama it produced may end up being the lasting legacy of what we see from the last couple of weeks
2: yeah i don't know I, it's crazy i mean you would think it would be a given the fact that you know Kawhi was able to win a championship in toronto but i don't know man i think the allure of going to the lakers you know if if lebron's able if they're able to get uh, anthony davis and then you add lebron anthony davis and Kawhi leonard to that team man that, that could be a totally different game
1: well because it's you mentioned Kawhi and his future. What about the Warriors? Is this the end of their dynasty? What do you do with Kevin Durant? Because he's right. probably going to miss next season. What do you do with Klay Thompson if this is, in fact, a torn ACL? We're talking about probably a six- to eight-month recovery, maybe a full year at at worst. So you're down your best player in Kevin Durant. And what's what's to say he opts out? of his contract and becomes an unrestricted free agent. He might leave the organization. He could always opt in as well. And now you're stuck with $30 million on your payroll that you can't do anything with as he tries to recover. Klay Thompson could go elsewhere as well. He's an unrestricted free agent. So Mm -hmm. the ripple effect from this series is going to be maybe greater than anything we've seen in a long time in the NBA. And I mean, it's just so weird to see the Raptors right now celebrating and with the, you know, with the podium right now. It's just the weirdest sight <laughs> to see this team. Last two nights, we had the Blues winning a-, a night ago and the Raptors winning today.
2: Right. Shout out to my nephew, Cole Parker, for uh, becoming a random Toronto Raptors fan like four years ago. No one knew why, no one understood the reasoning behind it. He couldn't even tell me why. But uh, that that random team that you decided to jump on the bandwagon of 40 years ago was a great choice, and now you look like a smart, smart guy. So hats off to you.
1: Yeah, so uh, the NBA Finals have been decided – Toronto Raptors are the NBA champions. Let's, let's answer some questions. Let's do it. On it, the Coors Light. This is, so. a,
2: this is an interesting one from the 360. Hey, guys. Craziest thing you've ever seen at a party that you can share on the air. Mm. You got anything, Curtis?
1: I don't know if I can share it on the air. <laughs> uh, Craziest thing I've ever seen at a party. I mean, there's
2: got to be something
1: good. There's got, Yeah. I mean, I did go to kind of a party school in a way. You did. I didn't really yes.
2: party, though. Uh, craziest thing I've ever seen at a party. Man, I'm... Well, for me, I think the biggest thing was, you know, there there was a great story. Uh, at the end of my senior year, um, everybody was... At the U? At, well, no, at the U. Not in high school, actually. Oh, we had okay. just won our third straight state title. Like, things were going wild and crazy, and uh, and the cops showed up and I had to go out and negotiate yeah. with the police to try and get everybody home without anybody getting in trouble. It was able to pull it off, and and that was a big deal. But I think the craziest thing I've seen is we actually, I'm not going to say what year or who or whatever because it would it would make it obvious to those listening but uh, or those in the know, but we had a player that got injured through our playoff run, like severely injured, a broken bone, and after one of our runs – you know, there was a party that was going on after we won state. And and again, the police came because of a noise complaint. And that player on a broken bone was hopping fence after fence after fence, like darted, was gone in an instant. And and afterwards didn't even realize what was going on until, uh, until you know, probably the next day where I'm sure it's, it just hurt him, but like gone like a flash. Wow. It's like, how is this guy doing this right now? <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, from the 253 should there be
1: legislation passed that says what can be considered to be thick cut bacon yes yeah
2: yes false advertising on bacon is mm-hmm. not cool man I mean if you get you think you're about to get some amazing thick cut bacon and it's just not even close it's these thin little slices I mean you can't you can't do that to me. I, I I'm, I'm all about the thick cut bacon
1: yeah like I want my thick cut bacon I want thick spelled with two Cs. Uh, I don't want just, like, this wispy <laughs> bacon that if you hold it up, you can see through it. Like, that's 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 a joke. I'm sorry. Like, I want thick cut bacon. I want it, like, basically like steak. Like, that's how thick I yes. want it to be. And, and, like, when you grill it, it takes a while. Like, I don't want it to be done in, like, two seconds. That's not thick no. enough.
2: No, 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 no.
1: Uh, let's see here. From the 425, they say, I saw somebody at a party huck a large box of random motor fireworks into a bonfire. That's not good. Yeah. That's terrible. Yikes. Uh, From the 206, best athlete you ever saw or played with.
2: Man, that's a tough one. That is a real tough one.
1: Why didn't you ask me that question, 206? Oh, oh wait, surely
2: yes. did. They didn't preface it to Jake. Yeah. They asked you. I mean, they asked you've the seen room. you've seen some amazing amazing athletes in your Arizona days.
1: Yeah, uh best athlete I ever saw, like in person. Well, it turned out to be Klay Thompson, which yeah he, like I didn't <laughs> I didn't know it in the moment when Washington State played against Arizona back in the day that I didn't know he was gonna become, you know, a three time NBA champion and uh, nearly lead the Warriors to a win tonight, but uh, he turned out to be the best that I ever. I saw Andrew Luck when he was with Stanford Okay, take on uh, the Wildcats and then Nick Foles. He was the quarterback when I was there. Nick uh, Foles is going to be one of the oh, best yeah. athletes. Jake, I don't know if you know this, but this athletes? is a Nick Foles slander-free zone that Whoa. you walked into. Nick Foles is a Super Bowl champion quarterback. Wow. Uh, I didn't Which know is we something were considering that, him an athlete. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nick Falls. Okay. Lot All of right. love for him.
2: <laughs> and Gronk is probably like, you have a shrine, I'm sure. Uh,
1: I mean, I do. Uh, so Gronk and I, we never overlapped while ah, we were at Arizona. Okay. He left the year before I enrolled. Gotcha. Uh, probably but, for the better, because you and Gronk just- Yeah, we would have we torn that town up. Like, <laughs> you think there are tall tales about Gronk in college. Well, I mean, him and, him and I, that could have been- that could have been nuts. What, what about you? Before we go,
2: uh, man, there's too many good ones for me to just single out one. I mean, there's. I think the the person that I was blown away by in person was Brandon Marshall, and this was Brandon Marshall per, before the Seahawks. This was Brandon Marshall with the New York Jets when you know he had like uh, I think this was 2015 when he had uh, you know 10 plus touchdown passes he still had all the legs and the juice in him i mean that guy was a physical freak of nature uh who could run and jump and i mean make contested catches and you know when the seahawks signed uh brandon marshall i was extremely fired up because i thought they were going to get a revived version of brandon marshall yeah it didn't happen didn't happen well That's going to do it for us tonight here on
1: Seattle Sports Night. We'll be back with you next week. Uh, Congrats to the Raptors on winning the NBA championship tonight. Uh, We will be back with you on Monday. For Jake Heaps, I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Night on 710 ESPN Seattle.